Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Redeemer's Sermon Podcast. The readings appointed for this sermon are from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 18, verse 1 through 4, and 25 through 32, Paul's letter to the Philippians, chapter 2, verse 1 through 13, the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 21, verse 23 through 32, and Psalm 25, verse 1 through 6. God, grant us serenity to accept the things that we cannot change, courage to change the things that we can, and the wisdom to know the difference. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I always thought that this story of the the chief priests and the elders coming up to Jesus in the temple and asking him, what gives you the authority to do this? I always thought it was kind of a petty question uh, before. I, th- I thought like they had nothing left to say to Jesus except that, like, uh, well, how come you get to? Who gives you the right to say these things? And I always thought it was sort of a, to resort to the question of who gives you the authority just feels like such a, a, a small detail in the larger reality of all that Jesus is doing in the world and in his teaching and his, and his leading and all of his healing and all of his work. And they're like, yeah, but who said you could? I thought that was such a petty question. My and I've got to say, I've, I've softened a little bit lately in my understanding of the, the chief priests and the elders and their asking of this question. Don't worry, I'm still team Jesus, and I think Jesus answers it beautifully and, and he gets it right. But I, I'm not as annoyed with them for asking the question as I used to be. Because I look at our own world and realize how fractured we all are in terms of our understanding of where we find authority. We, had a, we are at a time and a place in our country, in our culture, where we are sh- shaken to the core as to where is the authority? Where, whose voice do we see as authoritative? What set of facts do we consider authoritative? I mean, if, if, any, if any Republican stands up, any Republican with any kind of authority power stands up and speaks, half the people in this room won't believe a thing he says or she says no matter what, by virtue of the fact that he's a Republican. And of course, then a Democrat gets up, any Democrat in power gets up and speaks, and half the people in this room won't believe a thing that they say, by virtue of the fact that they're a Democrat. That's where we're at as a people. We are unable to recognize authority in others unless they fall in line with our party, with our ideology, with the way we see things. We are deeply fractured. And we are not capable of recognizing authority except that which validates our already held worldview. Now, I want to let you know, I don't consider us, this is not new. It might be new for us, it might be heightened at this time, but this is actually something that has been happening to people throughout the history of the world. In times of cultural upheaval, in times of uncertainty, people scramble and scrape and wonder where is authority? Who's got it? Who do we trust? Who do we believe in? 
And this is not new, and it's certainly not new for the people in Jesus' story. We want to remember, this, this Jesus we're hearing about, this is not a story from a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. This is not a fairy tale of once upon a time, Jesus landed in this fairy tale land and, and, and all of these stories. These stories and Jesus' life are located in a real time and place. He's brought to the people of Israel as they are occupied by the Roman Empire. And there are serious questions about whose authority matters. Who, who should we actually listen to and believe? Do we pay attention to King Herod? He's called King Herod, after all. He's the king of Israel. Of course, he was only made king by the Roman Empire. As long as he says and does what he's supposed to do and acts as an appropriate vassal for, for them, then it's okay. Then he's allowed to be king. But he's brokered a fragile peace. And he's created a space that's not perfect, but at least we're not being killed every day, most of us. So hey, maybe that's the way to go. Maybe that's where we find authority. On the other hand, there are folks like we're, some of our favorite people, you know, the Pharisees, who are constantly teaching against the empire and teaching against King Herod. And are pointing towards the words of God and scriptures to say what's happening in our, in our country is not acceptable. Of course, they're not actually living up to the things that they say but at least they're saying it. So maybe we follow them. And then here comes Jesus. And Jesus is not affiliated, as far as we can tell, he's not officially affiliated with any of them. He doesn't seem to belong to the Herodians. He doesn't seem to belong to the Pharisees. He could, you could almost think he's one and then maybe the other, but it's hard to tell. And all of a sudden, in this story that we're hearing today, he shows up in the temple of Jerusalem, the religious and political center of their people shows up before the Passover, the biggest holiday of their people. And this, is, this story that we're here today is the week that Jesus is killed. He shows up in Jerusalem, and you'll remember the story. As he's walking up into Jerusalem, the people are throwing their cloaks and the palms on the ground and saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Help us, God. Save us. Here he is. This is the Messiah praising Jesus. And then Jesus walks into the temple and begins to teach. The elders and the chief priests are the people who run the temple. They did not invite him to come and teach. If we were sitting in here and someone we didn't know and that wasn't dressed all funny like this just walked in and got up here and started talking, we'd have some questions. What are you doing and who gives you the right? Well, Jesus, of course, answers beautifully by not answering at all one of his best talents that he has. I'm not even going to answer your question, he says. And the powerful thing about that is he puts them in a position where he's saying, I don't actually recognize your authority over me. I don't even have to answer your question. But then he goes on and he tells three parables and we hear the first one today. Okay, so a, a man has two sons and he sends them out to do work in the vineyard and the first son says, I'm not working for you, forget it, and leaves. In a huff. And then a couple minutes later goes, okay, well, that was dumb. I'm going to go work. And he does the work. And the other son goes, yes, of course, Father. I can't wait. This is going to be so much fun. And then he leaves and screws around and never does a thing. And Jesus asks the obvious question. So which one of them did the will of the Father? And we all know the answer. The snarky, grumpy one who complained and said, I'm not going to do it, but did the work. 
Not the one who said all the right things and acted the right way and did nothing. Jesus places our concept of authority. He places it in where the work is done. Jesus places authority in who's actually making something happen, doing the will of God. You know, the, 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 the chief priests and the elders, and, and the enemies of Jesus, by the way, are not the first people who have ever asked the question, what gives you the authority to do this work? There's a, there's a story from earlier on in this gospel where one of Jesus' biggest fans, one of his biggest friends and, and, and first loves, John the Baptist himself, questions, Jesus, are you sure you're actually the person we're all waiting for? There's a story where Jesus, John the Baptist sends his disciples to see Jesus and say, what, the, the actual words are, are you the one that is to come or are we waiting for someone else? John the Baptist, who believes in Jesus, is now wondering, is Jesus actually the person who will save us? And do you know what Jesus' response is to John the Baptist, whom he loves? He says to, his, to the disciples of John, he says, what am I doing right now? Like, you just interrupted me. What, what was I doing? Well, you were healing people. You were making the, blame, the blind see and the deaf hear, and you were making the lame walk, and you were raising people from the dead, and you were loving people who were on the margins and drawing them back into community, and you were teaching about the presence and the power of God's love. And Jesus goes, right, that's what I'm doing. Go tell John the Baptist that's what I'm doing, and he can decide for himself whose authority I speak on. Jesus places this idea of authority. He places it simply in the work of love. We recognize authority. We place our trust in the people that we recognize are actually doing the work of love in our lives. Think for a moment about those you actually trust. The people in whom you put your trust. Is it the people with all the best words? Or is it the people that you have seen time and again show up for you in love and care? We place authority in others based on what we see in them. We place our trust in people based on if we believe after watching them in our lives that we can trust them, that they will care for us, that they will love us the way we love them. The sad and painful thing that we see today in this story is that the chief priests and the elders who are the people who are responsible for the faith life of the community don't recognize the power and presence of God when it is right in front of them. They have not lived their lives in such a way that they can recognize God's work when it's happening right in front of them. They don't see God's authority in the love and the power and the miracle and teaching of Jesus. Because they have not constructed their lives 
in such a way that they place authority and trust in God's love. I believe that it is Jesus' call to us, Jesus' hope for us, that we will center love in our lives in such a way that we see authority and we know it when we see it. Not based on the people who say the things that we want to hear or affirm the beliefs and prejudices we already held, but that we place authority in trust in the people and the places that show God's love with authenticity, with honesty and integrity, with character and grace. That we place our trust in those who are actively seeking justice and mercy, that are working for peace and love. That we recognize God's presence in those places. One of the most painful things in the world about the stories that we hear about the Pharisees and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders is so simple. It's that God is right in front of them and they don't recognize God. God's love is active and present in the world and they don't have eyes to see it. It is the work of the church. It is the work of our community. It is our work to build up our sight, our vision for God's presence in the world so that we can see God when God shows up. But I want to take this one step further and I want to say to you, to you, when you love people, I don't just mean feel loving towards them. I mean when you act sacrificially and mercifully and with forgiveness, and you speak truth. When you live with others with integrity and kindness and care, you are acting on the authority of God. It is God who empowers you to love like this. It is God who gives you eyes to see the power and presence of mercy and grace and love in this world. We, all of us, every single one of us, we are all given authority by God. Not to say all the right things and to be the most impressive people, but to love this world with our whole hearts, to care for the people that God places in our lives. To build relationships of trust. This is the power and the glory of God. And it is given to us so that we can see God in every part of our lives. In Jesus' name.